So first things first, before you continue on listening to these episodes, podcast series, I talk about a lot of my feelings and thoughts. Therefore, it might trigger you to feel things and think things. And whether that be a good or a bad thing shall be up to you. But I'm putting my heart on the table with this and yeah I hope this reaches anyone who needs to hear it and know that nope you are not alone as happy as that sounds but yeah my name is Andrea and my alter ego is Grumps if you know me personally maybe what I'll be saying will shock you or maybe not but Let's forget that. Let's start from scratch. Episode 1 Solar Consciousness and Enlightenment. For this episode, I quote Haruki Murakami. Wherein he says, mental acuity was never born from comfortable circumstances. This is from his book 1Q84. I've always aimed to be eloquent when it came to, when it comes to speaking about how I feel. I stuttered up until the age of 16 when it came about my feelings. I was always firm in my voice when it came to shouting and being angry about pointless, trivial things. So hello. In this episode, I talk about my enlightenment. And it's not pretty. I was 16 when I first tried to commit suicide. It was a bit of a flop, actually. Survived it, though, and obviously, and passed as a bad stomach flu. Got really bad liver damage. My mom never really understood. Went to school the next day and sat an exam. I aced without studying and didn't come in for a week. Yeah, you look really bad. Have you gotten any sleep? <laughs> no, I haven't. Am I really alive? But anyway, th- that this episode isn't really about that. I feel like, unfortunately, in the times we live in, attempting to kill yourself is quite normal. That I actually don't know where or how I was even exposed to the idea of suicide. Maybe it was Tumblr, maybe it was just how depressing the city I lived in was, maybe it was my environment, 
in a research it says contact with suicide or self-destructive behavior produces an increase in suicidal behavior among vulnerable people especially teens and young adults this is called suicide contagion between 48 million and 500 million people are thought to experience suicide bereavement every year this was a study held back in 2016 Anyway, as I said, this episode isn't really about that. I feel like we all come to terms with our mortality at some point. I remember when I was six, I asked my mom, what happens if we die? And then I started pouring my eyes out. At six, you see the world in rose-colored glasses and you start thinking of your next meal, of who your next playdate is with, of what fort to build in the living room. I don't know how my mind got to the topic of death, but I feel like mortality knocks at our door or the thought and introduction of mortality any time in our lives, some sooner and some later. And I feel like that has a lot to do with enlightenment. This is a weird topic. Maybe this is my hot take in life, but I have a theory that when you are at your most enlightened path, you make peace with death. You make peace with mortality. At 16, well, the exact date, December 13, 2015. That's when I started familiarizing myself to my alter ego, Grumps, my inner child. We all have an inner child. I feel like it is our inner child that essentially keeps her soul intact, does that make sense? Our inner child is the one that kind of reminds you who you are when you are slowly swayed into the capitalistic and idealistic world already set stone for us. Even if we say our generation has the power to change things, we do what we can to stay connected to who we really are who you once were as a child. So you see my attempt had phased me. An inner thought surfaced where I believed I did have a big destiny planned out for me after surviving, gauging, and swallowing the 28 expired Panadol painkillers. I remember that night. Among many of my panic and manic episodes it's the same series it's the same it's the same topic it's the same routine which is kind of scary because I feel like there are two identities to my inner child one that plays a sane safe role no masks 
and one that is screaming for freedom. Okay, anyway, let's go through a depression tick list. I remember doing a quiz when I was like 16 after my attempt to see if I was depressed. See, I wouldn't even have done that like before my attempt. I guess you could say I'm a very impulsive person. And throughout the years, I think I've come to know that that is very true. Okay, let's go to WebMD symptoms. They can depression can include trouble concentrating, remembering details, and making decisions, feelings of guilt, worthlessness, helplessness, pessimism, hopelessness, insomnia, early morning wakefulness, or sleeping too much. Irritability, restlessness, loss of interest in things once pleasurable, including sex. Interesting. Overeating or appetite loss, aches, pains, headaches, or cramps that won't go away. Persistent, sad, anxious, or empty feelings. Suicidal thoughts and or attempts. Okay, this isn't... Okay, listen up. My observation and perspective with this symptom diagnosis of WebMDV, everyone in our generation is depressed. So, if this resonates with you, hold up. self-analysis around this time i did lose a lot of interest in many things i used to do sports i would spend hours alone and have closer relationships with older men or women and by this i don't mean anything raunchy but i would speak so often to strangers who would didn't obviously strangers i wouldn't know them isn't it weird we find comfort in sharing part of our soul and our identity to an unfamiliar person? There's a certain comfort that comes with that. Because you're starting with a clean slate and you get to kind of, I guess, control what they see, what truth they see. It's not like you're completely transforming yourself, but I feel like with strangers, you kind of have the chance to rebuild the way you want others to see you. Maybe that's why I always move houses, but it's really fun. Fun meaning you get to meet yourself halfway when you do have opportunities like this. I always ask people if they're more spiritual or are they religious because the path of enlightenment can mean so many to so many. We all have different beliefs and I guess the best thing to do is just respect that but 
my enlightenment went a little like this. What you want and follow the impulse. And then you say, but I'm not getting any impulses. And that's what's confusing me. I don't know what to do. And we say, if you don't know what to do. This morning I was discussing the joke of death. And the principal point that I was making was that death and life, or that is to say, in other words, the interval and the event, death being the interval between events. Time is really because we're all going to die. The more we try to ignore, we try to stop the fear of death and dying, it grows. And it grows underground and it will harm us. But if you know how to face it and transform it, actually, the death is really useful. Um, it might be great, kind of like, benefit for And I said, I'll tell you what it means. It means... Everybody's going to die, and you're not in control of when. That's what it means. It's not the end of the world, but it is an illustration of the fragile reality of life, and death can come to any of us at any time. We all die. We all die. The fact that we all die is evidence that we all sin, because the wages of sin is death. So when you look at death, you're looking at a reality that every person has to face. And after death... There is eternal punishment in hell or eternal life in heaven. The question is, is there rebirth? If it's there, what is the basis for one being to go from one birth to another? What is it that carries a person from one to another? And this, you must have some understanding of the mechanics of who you are, the dimensions of life. In all these three dimensions, dimension of life, this physical dimension of life, both in all these three dimensions, carries the imprints of karma. On the body it is imprinted, on the mind it's imprinted, and on the energy it's imprinted. Actually, in the sense, people are describing a certain limitation of the non-physical as a soul. But the body for the soul is still your karma. If the karma dies, no more. When somebody dies, we say this person is no more. That's not true. That person is no more the way you know them, but they still very much exist. Now if you dismantle the karmic structure, and joyfully welcome the Lord wherever you are, whatever you're going through, just welcome the Lord. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. So we gather together. Sure of God, you know.
But just a sign, the cross is the signature of God in our souls, in our day-to-day In a similar order, I explored and had an existential crisis after shortly my suicidal attempt, for which for a while I felt like I was floating in the world we lived in, completely fearless almost, because I had almost had a meeting with death himself, itself. I don't want to assume he's a man. However, most of our problems root from men. I'm just kidding. But anyway. In the order I have shown, I've wandered existentially from Abraham Hicks, Alan Watts, the great Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity. And they all share sort of the same essence of death that we should not fear it well of course we shouldn't really fear anything but i have come to my own conclusion in a weird twisted way i feel like it is even more powerful if you make death your best friend that sounds a little fucked up i realize but um (laughs) what i do mean is that if you do not fear it you get close to it so i don't really know why you're listening to this or who you are which is kind of the beauty of it right pretend i'm another voice in your head meeting the voice in your head and You may be wondering, and thank you for staying up till this point, why I did it. Or why would somebody commit suicide? I will get into the depth of that later, but I think in its entirety, I think people get pushed to the point, whether they are impulsive or not, like a teapot. I feel like it's more, you're more prone to it when you keep everything in. Or maybe, you know, I keep thinking I am grateful for my friends. Like There are some people, and obviously like a track record of people who commit suicide. There's no strain to it. Sometimes you'd be surprised the happiest person in the room could be the next victim of depression, could be the next victim of suicidal tendencies and if I were to be completely honest to why I did it I feel like everyone has a time bomb inside of them some time bombs don't really work and result when it does go off they have little manic episodes which would be preferable but some people have a time bomb where they're not surrounded by any other time bombs thinking that if they were to go off it wouldn't really make a change or that sounds so sappy but you get what I mean I feel like people who have the 
decision or even the choice to even commit suicide. They view life as if they're in a box. Because that's sure how, like, how I felt. I felt like I wanted to restart my life and just start a new account. But I feel like that's Tiz in her own belief system. I believe in reincarnation. And I do believe in heaven and hell. I feel like, although, and I have come to the conclusion that the world we live in, this plain field of existence, is our heaven and hell. And every day since I've survived my attempt, you get to decide. Do you want to live in heaven? Or do you want to live in hell today? And just like that, it's been a game. A game of mind setting, a game of mind control, and a battle with the ego. Because we all have that voice in our head that we sometimes flop away like a fly because it is annoying. You know what's best for you, then why aren't you doing it? You know you're not alone if you give yourself the choice. Then why are you putting yourself in that situation? See, I think these things, I am aware of these things. People commit suicide and get pushed to the point where they decide that, know these things. But I feel like like an adrenaline rush most of the time, we're in a box. Uh, It's like an escape room except the only escape is to end your own life and I don't know how else to expand on that but that's really how it feels because it's like this adrenaline rush to just get your get it out of your system and it's not even a drug it's not even anything it's it's a feeling and I feel like as I said the time bomb unless you haven't thought of it before you wouldn't really get so far to doing it. So... Hmm. Half of me feels kind of hopeless saying this all because I've survived that attempt four years ago, yet the thought of suicide still crosses my mind. It's reality, my friends. (laughs) It's not really something I dwell on as if um, I want to. It's a thought that kind of you get you get kind of comfortable with, especially if you've been so familiar with it over the years. And it's like this toxic friend that you just wanna leech off of you, and you do. You try your best. You get new habits. You play sports. You fall in love. But there's just, you know, and I feel like just some people are stronger than others when it comes to those things. Like, ignorance is bliss. And, (laughs) but anyway, I shared this with my cousin Martin the other day, and he told me, you know what, turn your, your suicidal tendencies and manic depression into something powerful. Most of the mo- uh, majority of the most successful entrepreneurs are pretty much manic depressed. And I feel like I have a theory that comes with that. 
because we are manic depressed, we kind of don't fear death anymore. Therefore, taking risks are a definite breeze for us. And I guess if you can find a balance of wanting to die and wanting to live at the same time, you get a you get the best of both worlds. It's like making peace with the Grim Reaper. And also, it's just this weird feeling. I'm 20 years old right now. I released the series on my 21st and 20 is such a weird age. Like, I don't know. Um, I feel like something dies the minute you turn 20 and I feel like my mom has done such a great job of making me feel very special on every birthday special not in a, such a grand way but she would do little things that would really resonate with my childhood like get me a small cake sing to me gather my friends cook my favorite meals and 20 was such a lonely age for me. It was the first birthday I cried and I think it's this weird like coming of age feeling like fuck this is it. I didn't even think I'd live this long and now I'm in my 20s. So yeah. I was gonna answer in this part of the recording why I, why I did it, but I guess I hope that kind of answered it. The route I will explain to you later on as we get a little closer and more comfortable with each other. In conclusion, I do believe that my encounter with death at 16, well, 15 led me to enlightenment that I was never ready for. And I feel like we get that sometimes when we're a bit older in life where a relative dies or you get diagnosed, knocks on wood, <laughs> with a serious illness. Or the truth, and by the truth I mean the fact that we live in these physical bodies for a temporary time only knocks at your door I feel like when it hits you you get certain existential crisis that no one really can explain but you just know and you have this more profound understanding of the universe and the way that things work and you there's no way but through when it comes to making peace with it. So in other words, don't let death hold fear above your head. Let it empower you. With knowing that death is inevitable and will happen, know what you can make out of it in this life you have. And just don't click game over too soon. Although you know it is funny. Back to the story of the night I did it. Um, I ended with a prayer. I hugged my knees. My heart was beating and thumping against my chest. And I was practically heaving. 
I was alone in my bunk bed and I was writing my suicide note very impulsively and quick. I wrote down two names, well three, two names of my close friends back then who I don't even speak to now. And if you're hearing this, you know who you are. I wrote their names because I wanted everything I owned to go under their names. I wanted everything under my name at 15. Clothes, camera, backpack, things to go to them. And it's kind of twisted, but I felt like my death would have eased a lot of people's lives back then. And I, I did like a whole math calculation for everybody, my friends, my family, the people I lived with especially. It's more of not taking space anymore, physically and mentally, I guess. But it's weird. I was listening to worship songs that night, and maybe that's what saved me. I don't know why. It's kind of weird because we do pray for hope, you know? Like, at our darkest and lowest times, whatever your religion is, we cling to a higher being, whether that's God, whether that's Allah, whether that's Buddhism or anything, Hinduism, and there are plenty gods. I feel like at your deathbed, a glimmer of hope comes and you kind of want it not to come but somehow and I hold this to be true you cling on to whatever faith you were brought up with and so ironically I ended that night with a prayer Sangala ng ama ng anak at sa Espiritu Santo. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. But, yeah. Welcome to my head. And I applaud your inner voice. And I wish you well. Whatever ba- battle you're going through, I assure you, somebody out there is going through the same thing. And because we're in our 20s, and I don't want to discriminate this to whoever, how old is going to hear this, but I realized that with growing up and turning 20 comes responsibility beyond others. Meaning, if you are unhappy, it's your responsibility to change that. And it's such a heavy slump. It feels like I'm carrying a heavy log that's set on fire. But, you know, the only way is through. (laughs) And, yeah. We'll get through this.